0: Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer, and collectibles, both digital and physical with on chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship, and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid digital and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Gen C. Exciting episode today. Our guest will be Julia Klim. Julia is VP Strategic Partnerships at Equinox. Equinox, for those who may not live in a city that has an Equinox, is a very high-end wellness experience, gym. They now are into hotels, one of the pioneers of wellness as a lifestyle. They also own SoulCycle, which I'm sure most of you have heard of. So I think there's a lot to learn from Julia. I'm really excited to talk with her But first, Avery, there's some stories that have been popping up. I don't know if you heard this yesterday, but Tom Hanks is very mad at AI. And remember, this is the guy who used a lot of very advanced computer techniques in the Polar Express to make himself look like any person he wanted to. But he is upset that a dental service has created an AI Tom Hanks and has put it into his commercials. And he's saying, that is not me and I did not endorse that. And I kind of feel like this is a little bit of the dark side of what AI is going to bring, where anyone can put anyone anywhere. And as someone like yourself, where you guys also make traditional advertising and commercials, how do you feel about this in terms of just the IP realities of celebrity culture?
1: We never want Forrest Gump to be upset. And he is creating a ruckus, but rightly so. At X, we spend a lot of time understanding and enforcing rights as it relates to talent, as it relates to creators. And you know, certainly we would never use a name image like this without the appropriate permissions in place and the proper rights all approved by our business affairs team. Deep fakes happen all the time. I don't know if you've seen like character AI, like that stuff happens a lot. I think when you're using it for direct commercial gain, that's when you really cross into a place of like enforceable legal action. Brands use AI-assisted ai assisted versions of talent all the time. If you think about like Shah Rukh Khan, Cadbury, uh, which is a Mondelez brand, used to a few years ago during the pandemic to do this like happy birthday kind of thing and allow SMBs to leverage Shah Rukh Khan in their message as part of a broader campaign they were doing. So that kind of thing is fine because he knows about it and he's getting paid and everybody knows that it's AI. I think in the Tom Hanks example, that's an example of the talent not you know being on board, not having endorsements and not getting paid and rightfully so not wanting someone else some dental business to benefit from a fake endorsement from Tom Hanks. So I think we're going to see a lot of this, but I do think the laws are pretty clear cut around protecting the name, image and likeness of talent and of celebrities in these kind of cases. So I think we'll only need like one or two big like, you know, misuse cases for people to shut that down. And from a big brand perspective, like I can just tell you, we would never ever ever they would never approve that. These types of large companies are Petrified of being sued or doing anything that's so risky, unless that had been approved and vetted by the talent themselves.
0: I'm not worried as much about the big brands as much as I am the just brand spam that could happen on something like Instagram or Twitter. And the fact that, you know, there are a lot of these kind of shell shadow businesses where they spin up 25 storefronts that sort of are all focused on the same thing
1: Ghost Kitchens, Amazon FBA.
0: Totally. And they just run all of it through these marketplaces for really low CPMs. And it's one thing for Tom Hanks to see himself in a dental ad you know, in the US, it's another thing for him to see it in Malaysia. And so I just wonder how much globally, also this is going to be a problem where that rights management of IP, by the time you send a cease and desist or try to find the person who's a two person you know, shop who is an e-com play, really just playing on low margin, it's a challenge because knowing whether or not the person is involved may not matter, especially kind of the further you get away from Western cultures.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's a valid concern, but I also think there's some authenticity that you just can't fake with AI. And if you're familiar with how these kind of things look, you can kind of be like, that's not really
0: Tom Hanks. Yes. Well, he also wasn't actually in Polar Express either. So
1: true. He was in Forrest Gump, 1994. <laughs>
0: Yes, he wasn't for his scum. Um, The second thing I think is really interesting, you know, I just got back from Europe when and I were there for one of our clients. There's like a lot of positive sentiment, frankly, around crypto happening in Europe, in Asia. It's very different. Agreed. Yeah, it's a lot more positive, especially around things like gaming. In the US, it feels a little bit down at the moment. But one area that still continues to sort of deliver, I think, in addition to Connected Fashion, because we are seeing this week drops from Moncler and Louboutin. But the area of crypto art, I still think is one that is pretty fascinating. So this week was this slightly complicated (laughs) release that MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, is doing with 15 different artists, folks like Osanachi and Grant Yoon and Dimitri Cherniak, Sasha Styles, like a lot of really interesting crypto artists. But the fact that the MoMA is doing it, and of course, they are only calling it digital collectibles. They are mentioning the blockchain, very little NFT mention. And then simultaneously, there is the first ever crypto art curated show at the Saatchi Gallery. And for those not in the art world, Charles Saatchi in the Saatchi Gallery is one of the sort of names that blesses the new artists that come into the art world. He found Damien Hurst, for example, and made him into the most successful living artist. So I do think that it's kind of just interesting that there continues to be this. Desire on the art side to utilize blockchain and some of these artists in traditional art framing. The thing that I find most fascinating is still how little of it plays in the traditional art world. If you look at Art Forum, you're not really reading anything about these crypto artists. So I keep wondering is this the kind of thing where at some point we'll just stop thinking of it as like something different and it's just another art medium? But I don't know if you have a thought on kind of the fact that now, two and a half, three years later, the art side still continues to be moving forward.
1: I have a positive thought of, I love that the artists continue to create and continue to embrace this medium. And as we know, museums don't move that quickly. So a lot of these things probably have been in motion for years. And I'm really, really excited to see them continue to embrace this. I think it's a positive signal. And, you know, when you talk about digital art or some people call it crypto art, I completely separate that from the like speculative nature of like PFP collectibles and even, you know, the way that some people treat digital art NFTs, because I think there's like art for art's sake that's about appreciation. I think Eric Snowfro, who is the creator of Squiggles and Art Blocks, also known as art on blockchain, you know, his vision is so pure. And I think he does a really nice job articulating that and what attracts these digital creators to the medium and to the space. So I'd love to see it. And It's a really nice sort of proof point that there continues to be a desire to collect this kind of art. There continues to be creative people who are investing their time that are completely moved away from the more speculative side.
0: And I think what people don't recognize about the traditional art world is for every artist that does make it, there's still 500 who are trying.
1: There's 5,000 who are trying.
0: Or 5,000 who are trying. Exactly. And so I do think that in the future, we're going to look back and there will be a couple of people who will stand out, who will be recognized as being true artists and representative of a movement in the same way cubism or modernism or whatever it might be. So I do think that's a really interesting way to think about it. Avery, the final thing I want to talk to you about, this is on my mind the entire weekend, was I think we've hit a little bit of an inflection point that I did not expect to happen as soon as it did, which was the combination last week of what Meta released in all of their new tools. I don't know if you saw that Lex Friedman and Zuck, interview in the metaverse, of course, combined with a very significant advancement in the tool set from ChatGPT. And I kind of was like, oh, things are happening, frankly, just a lot quicker than we expect. And the idea that not only can ChatGPT write solid code, can like understand an image to the point where it can reverse engineer how you would build something or make something or create instructions for how to cook a meal, all of this kind of stuff. But the fact that we are digitizing ourselves in digital spaces also at a kind of hyper focus, I'm so interested for when the Apple Vision Pro comes out to see where that brings us. But I don't know about you, but it just felt like, oh, we should take this stuff a little bit more seriously than maybe like all of the trash talk we have been giving like Meta specifically for the last year. What are your thoughts?
1: One, I think that we need to have on a gas for Meta because I think that The media loves to bash Meta, but they continue to drive innovation. They continue to build new products that are really interesting, whether it's the Ray-Ban glasses, which just got a big reboot. The Meta sort of Reality Labs team has been hard at work on those. I say I'm not as much of a Quest Pro hater as many other people are. I actually think it's pretty interesting. Continues to get better and better. I would not count Meta out on any of this type of thing. I think they're really serious about Reality Labs. They're really serious about this sort of future of the internet as being immersive and as being social. So I'm all for it. I'm rooting for Meta in this. They've definitely had some fumbles, like big time. They've released so many versions of the headset that just haven't been there yet. But if you compare them to the competitive set, I mean, the competitive set doesn't exist. Exactly. There's Magic Leap and some others that have like really not put out anything. And I think Meta continues to ship with varying degrees of success, but they continue to ship with Conviction and I'm rooting for them. And I think that they also have very deep pockets. Like they can keep going here for a long time.
0: I'm surprised actually that Google, because Google Glass was one of the pioneering devices.
1: Yes, I remember.
0: <laughs> and then they're kind of like, peace, were out, right? Like they just never went back to it.
1: They were just way too early.
0: And they were very early. But I do think both Google and Facebook that have these unbelievable money printing advertising businesses to continually invest in this stuff should continue to do so because I do think there's no question in my mind that some of our life will be spent in more immersive spaces. Speaking of immersive spaces, let's get to Julia Klim because there's nothing more immersive than being at the gym. You know what I wear when I go there. So therefore, everyone has to be able to experience that at home, at the gym, in their hotel, on the plane, whatever it may be. I'm excited to talk to her about the future of wellness of lifestyle and treating a wellness brand as luxury and fashion, which I think is just a really fascinating conversation.
1: I can't wait. Let's bring on Julia.
0: With that, we'll see you after the break. I
1: Julia, I'm so excited to have you with us today on Generation C. Thank you so much for making the time. I feel like you're an icon You know, in fitness and business and in- marketing and innovation. So we are so flattered and honored that you took the time to join us today. Thank you. I'd love to hear a little bit about Julia Klim, where you're from and what you're up to.
2: Thanks for having me. Super exciting to be here. So I'm Julia Klim. I'm the vice president of partnership and business development at Equinox Group. Equinox Group owns Equinox Fitness Clubs, which is the most known. We have Equinox Hotel which actually just won an award for top 50 hotels in the world. We're very proud. I think it was North America, but it was fabulous. I saw that. Yes, it's amazing. And then also SoulCycle. And so I work across the three brands. And essentially, my job is to look at innovation across all spectrum of lifestyle. So I don't really even look at fitness. It's more around how does wellness and fitness become part of your lifestyle and culture? And how can we extend it via partnership or new innovation into those other spheres? And you can hear an accent as I was born and raised in Poland, moved around ever since. And I'm now stationary in New York in Hudson Yards, where our hotel is. Do you get to work out of the Equinox Hotel? Yes, it's really nice. I mean, it's nice because it's great. You do see your coworkers all the time, but <laughs> we love the location. It's amazing. It's one of our best and top performing, actually, in the whole portfolio. So if you haven't been, um, I highly recommend. I know you've been Avery, but other people.
1: The pool is A plus there, electric lemon, the restaurant is amazing, and the hotel is amazing. So I'll have to bug you to take me, you know, to drinks or to see the office sometime.
2: Anytime, anytime. The sunset view starts to die for. This is so
1: <laughs> true. And Julie, what were you doing before Equinox?
2: Um, I have a very typical career path. I, I graduated my high school. I decided I want to go to fashion. So I did a short course in fashion design in Milan. I then actually abandoned it and enrolled in a computer science degree at University College London. And so a little bit of a change of paths and then went into asset management. And I started working at a company called PIMCO, where I'd done a bunch of things from investing to credit research. I then went to an MBA. And afterwards, I joined investment banking in New York. Absolutely hated my life. Uh, (laughs) This is when I decided I like to sleep more than work and (laughs) numbers of hours of sleeping was very low. And so made a switch a little bit accidentally, quite frankly, because I've never been an equinox, but I've been an avid fitness person. I've been a soul cycle person. I grew up being a dancer in a theater. So very rigorous kind of athlete type mentality. And so I jumped on to this opportunity to essentially figure out what's next for equinox. And so been doing it. Four years, I worked directly for the chairman, Harvey Spivak, and it's really cool. First one year of growth, two years of pandemic. You know, being in a physical business in a pandemic is not the best business model. And now we're back on growth. And so it's great to see physical IRL being very much in demand and coming back and kind of leading Equinox back to yet another transformation, which has been doing it for, you know, 32 years.
0: Julia, I'm just going to throw some stuff at you. Do it. And I'm going to caveat this by saying that in a previous life, I did a lot of work with Equinox back in the day to the creative agencies that I was involved with, as well as the innovation play. So I've been tracking this brand for a very long time.
2: I'm scared now. No, no, no. All good.
0: All good. So I feel like when you think of a modern fitness industry, there are two sort of core themes. One is this idea of like, live longer, look better. And I think that's a lot of where like the innovation side comes in. And then the second theme is how much we've like pivoted in the last bunch of years to this creator driven fitness model, right? Personalities who are modeling out these healthy lifestyles and behaviors, which is kind of an influence side, right? So you have like innovation and influence, I think is really driving this industry. I would just love your take on like, what does it mean to be a modern fitness brand in such a connected world and where the technology is changing so quickly?
2: This is like a money question I can talk about. This This is going to be like a whole dinner conversation. But I think going to your first differentiation between a brand that promotes fitness or lifestyle versus an influencer, I think it's phenomenal what's been happening with the fact that we have a rise of fitness influencers. That actually a fitness influencer is even, I think, which actually wasn't a few years ago. And the reason why it's amazing is because I think it helps a lot of people onboard them into having healthy habits, right? It is motivational to have someone that feels relatable and to try to mimic them and work that work out. And I think as an entry point to going from zero to nothing, that's amazing, right? Because we should all be more active, eat healthier, sleep better, makes us all better. The tricky thing is that there's a lot of content out there that's actually not good, right? And a lot of fake knowledge, fake facts. And the reality is we're all such unique creatures. But even like male, female, age gaps, et cetera, there's so much wrong content out there that we as a brand can really do one thing is that we've been on the market for 32 years. We've done it. The trends keep coming back. I mean, we're all, we've been doing Jane Fonda from, you know, back recently, you know, in front of TVs. So the trends really change and it's a cyclical, like in any other industry. But the one thing that's steady is that trying to stay true to like, what's actually science backed, what's safe and efficacious. And so Equinox always have led this team around. We put a lot of research into what we put into educational programs and anything in front of the member. Like there's a reason why we haven't sold supplements for many, many years, even though it's creep money grab. We haven't sold CBD for many years, even we do now in many cases. But we really take our time to do the research so that when we do put it and curate it in front of the community, we do two things. One, we are convinced that it's safe and effective, or at least as convinced as you can be with the research out there. Two that we say for the industry as a whole as the brand you look up to for education. And three, through doing that, we hope to kind of make sure that everyone has the same approach, right? Then yes, we want the influence on all these people and we want to amplify this message. But again, trying to make sure that we are the cornerstone of what's safe and effective and true while innovating is kind of what our brand is. And I think you've done it pretty well in terms of having a brand trust from the consumer on doing just that. And so once you have this foundation, everything else goes. So that will be my somewhat of a quick take on that.
1: I love those quick takes. And how long has Equinox been around for? You said 32 years. 32. Wow. That is way longer than I would have expected. Interesting. And throughout Equinox's history, I feel like you all have constantly been innovating. You've always been ahead of the trend from an innovation perspective, understanding that fitness was a lifestyle and leveraging technology to drive interest in content. I think it's been a strength over many years. I've been an on and off Equinox member whenever I live nearby one for the last, I don't know, 15 years and love them. How does innovation play a role in Equinox's journey, Julia? I'd love to understand, you know, sort of broadly your take on that and then specifically how you bring that forward in some of your partnerships, which I know are robust.
2: Totally. So on the point of just a 32-year-old brand, coming from Europe, I love to use the word heritage brands. It's very cool to have a heritage brand in the U.S., Heritage is not circle word, it's more innovative brands. So I say we're a heritage brand with a strong innovation. So innovation, I think there's an evolution and a revolution part of any innovation, right? Innovating a daily business or growing a daily business is kind of table stake, you know, you grow or die kind of sentiment. And so we do in every single part of our business a lot of innovation on a daily basis. Whether it's new group fitness programs, adding new brands into our retail offerings, adding new offerings in our spa or changing the equipment, that's kind of table stakes. But there's actually quite a bit behind it, how our teams are structured to continuously bring this innovation and never just kind of stop doing that. So that's that. I do two things. I look at brand extensions right now. I've done a bunch of different roles at Equinox, but my current role, I look at where can we take our brand further that isn't within our four walls? So what is the out-of-four-world innovation that's, I would say, more evolutionary than revolutionary? And that has been done primarily via brand partnerships, which I can talk in a second about, and using tech in a different way, which every you and I have connected over <laughs> many times. And then secondly, what is the revolution of the business or transformation of the business? And that is that, what is the next Equinox Hotel? We developed the vision for Equinox Hotel in 2008. If you told people in 2008 that you would be having a gym in a hotel, like it's not such an innovative concept. And honestly, like, I'm not interested. Obviously, we opened 2019. It's literally the top performing asset in our portfolio. We can't keep up with demand. We have more on the horizon. So I'm looking a lot at what's next. And in those things, that's without saying too much, it will be tracking down closer to healthcare. And so we're thinking about Equinox as a preventive healthcare company, not those exact words, but that's kind of where we're going. On the more recent stuff are some of the cool stuff that we've done. And something we've launched just recently was, okay, if fitness is about motivation, Equinox is about lifestyle, we are a membership business, a club. We don't even call our four-world locations gyms. We call them clubs. The concept of this is a opt-in membership of like-minded individuals. How can we extend the, the meaning of the membership away from the four walls? And so we launched a program called Equinox Circle. Equinox Circle was a curation that took 18 months to curate the best partners in the categories that we know our member already engages with, lifestyle, entertainment, culture, nutrition, travel. And so we went out, had this high level categories of what we want Equinox to stand for, and then went to create best of each in each categories. And so we've launched end of May, and we've launched with companies like StockX, which is the marketplace. By the way, if anyone's in New York, we are right now doing a one month long pop-up at Equinox Bond Street. We're doing a complete overtake experiential with StockX and our retail store it looks really sick. I literally just saw it yesterday. We have Dorsia, which is by invitation only restaurant bookings. So October 26th, we're doing our first of 12 events where we are all going to take overtakes of restaurants And Equinox member will be able to meet other Equinox member in a new immersive space around the meal. So this is our kind of gluing our community on a micro level in different markets with Dorsia is kind of another thing we're doing with them. Then we have Aura, which I'm wearing right now. Yes, it's a fitness tracker, but Aura, I would say is also more of a lifestyle brand. They've done a partnership with Gucci to do a custom ring. We're doing the same similar concept. We're about to launch in a few weeks. A limited only rest and recovery kit or a equinox. So, super excited about that. And then we have Indagare, which is very high in travel planner, right? So, now our members want to stay fit, but they also want to travel. They want to experience this concept of like wanting it all. Like, yes, you want to be healthy. Yes, you want to travel. Yes, you want to be successful. You want to do it all. That kind of curation of brands. And so, Indagare is the travel component of it. We have a meal delivery called Provenance. We have Thorne Supplements, which is again, Many, many, many years of research of choosing the highest quality brand out there. And then we have Blade, so private travel to and from airports, etc. And so those are some of the brands we created. And Equinox Circle was actually a precursor to a larger loyalty strategy in that, again, fitness and wellness is all about motivation. like any loyalty program, there's a natural cap to like how many coffees a day you can have or products you can have a day. But wellness is one of those things that if you look at trends, in the 90s, if you worked out twice a week, you were actually a little crazy. Today, I genuinely don't know a single person that doesn't do some form of movement or self-care every single day, right? So we have moved to this concept of no days off. And then we're going now from no days off to how many hours a day can I walk, move, be mindful, etc. And so we want to capture a higher share of that, obviously. But by doing that, we also want to help you build good habits. So we are on the track to create a loyalty platform. Some of it most likely will be on chain. Web3 still cool as a technology. <laughs> Not so cool always to talk on its own these days.
0: Speak for yourself, Julia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> still cool. And we're doing the same Soul cycle. Again, a little bit different brand, but same concept. It's an opt-in to a larger lifestyle.
0: I mean, it's interesting because I think that just to your comment on Web3, like even Montclair and Louboutin both dropped digital collectibles today. Like these things are still happening. I'm interested in if at some point you're ready to talk about what you guys are doing on chain, because I do think that that is about brands connecting closer to customers. 100%. But I do think what's interesting, and I don't think probably our audience knows, is how much I think Equinox also has been innovative in how it's built its brand. I think back to the old days of David LaChapelle shooting the campaigns. And I think like Equinox was the first to really put fashion and fitness and sex forward and like really kind of let people see their ideal selves. In the brand itself. Whereas like Crunch, I remember back in the day was very like, oh, it's just cheap and you can work out with like a lot of buff people. And I think Equinox always had like a layer of elegance and premium to it. Cause I believe you guys started in New York, right?
2: Yeah. New York based brand.
0: I think like in New York was a perfect pioneering market because as money came into New York in the 80s and 90s, it was the perfect time to grow that brand in that world. I'm sort of interested in where we're going. I think this has been like a really interesting week in the innovation space this last week. If you think about what Lex Friedman and Mark Zuckerberg were doing in their podcast of like around the avatar worlds, I'm interested how far you think fitness will push into innovation. We've seen what Apple's doing. We know what Facebook and Meta are doing. A lot of those experiences seem to be about tricking people to move through gamification. And do you sort of think that the equinox of the future is gonna be in a headset that we're wearing at home?
2: Long question. So yes and no. So look, maybe. I'm a big believer in, in chain and gamification, all of this. And I spent quite a bit of time thinking about this. And I was going back and forth on it even with myself. But the analogy I'll give a little bit is like a restaurant. So you go to a restaurant and you can take a takeout. You can gamify your ordering experience. But at the end of the day, nothing is as good as going to a restaurant and getting served and having the whole experience of people around you. And I will say fitness is the same. And so as much as I do believe in all this innovation and digital to kind of go help you moving, meet you where you are in certain moments, I don't think the fundamental pillar of wellness and fitness specifically will change dramatically in that you'll be craving this motivation to be around people who work out the same like you. And you'll be craving to kind of do it physically. And if you just so happen to have eucalyptus towels and the top architectural designers and the top campaigns around you, that's great. You know, if that motivates you, come to Equinox, but that's kind of what we're about. At the same time, I do think where the interesting tech is going is how you can get smarter on what actual workout is good for you, right? And the simplified version is should you or should you not be doing cardio in the morning? But like, should I eat a shake? Should I intermittent fast? How should I optimize vitality? I think that's where the science and data and innovation and collection is super interesting. And I think it gets extra interesting when you bring into this all data that right now are shielded for the regulatory reasons from healthcare, right? Your blood tests and so on. I think blockchain can potentially be an interesting solution to an opt-in into an ecosystem that someone can get personalized contextual recommendation in the spot. That doesn't mean that, again, physical business will go away. Now... Headset VR, just to specifically do this, super interesting to onboard the younger consumer into working out to kind of feel why you should do it, etc. As a consumer, I can see a world where twice a week you would be doing in a headset, but if you probably live next to a physical location or a nice park, you probably will also do a workout outside or in our club. So it's not an or solution, it's an end solution, and it's always been an end solution, right? And we'll see which trends really stick for a longer time. At the end of the day, I mean, we've been biking since like many centuries. We've been running since many centuries. And really, we haven't come up with that much newness that actually stayed. So it's actually pretty basic and primal in terms of like what fitness and movement is, right? But yes, I'm looking at all the other stuff at the same time. Specifically on your comment about chain or Web3, whatever you call it. Yes, believe in digital goods. I think they're very applicable to physical demand. You know, there's a whole sustainability play and all of that. It's much harder, and it's even in Web2 or e-com, to take the physical experience or a service into digital, right? I mean, like the luxury goods companies are struggling to even do it with e-com, like, let alone with anything else. And the reason I'm bringing it up is that I think where I got really excited about blockchain, and still am, is this concept of doing things in the physical, can be a physical equinox, can be whatever, but the physical world that helps you earn rewards on the digital that you can then own and import. So that's one use case. The second use case, that's what you just mentioned, is partnerships. The next phase of growth for all of these brands, and you can see it already with CAC changes, et cetera, is via partnerships, is by tapping into like minded community. It just makes business sense, but it also makes sense from a brand standpoint if done well. It's really hard right now because it's people like me and other brands to figure out the fancy word, tokenomics, or the value exchange that feels fair, right? There is a unified currency for it. So what we created Circle, the idea was that we we'll create a circle of partners that would actually then create a unified currency via which you can actually exchange things such that each brand feels like they're part of a community. We all selected into it. We all agree that one each other elevates each other brands, but also that we know how the customer can seamlessly travel around this because they run at Equinox, they run hundred miles and they can get a private plane because of that reward mechanism for running physically. So I think that's to me where this interesting ecosystem comes in play harder to do. But I think that's still the future. And I hardly believe in that.
0: Do I have to run 100 miles straight to get the free helicopter ride?
2: Yes. This is the tokenomics I just just specifically (laughs) for you. (laughs) To be fair, I'm not even a runner.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I mean, what wouldn't you do for a free flight? Flight, especially to the Hamptons, <laughs> depends the timing and the location, right? Run to Hamptons; you can run there. I, know, I can bike. It's like you know. <laughs> yeah, um, Julia, I love how you just sort of laid out two different use cases for why Web three tech had you know caught your attention as the head of partnerships at Equinox and how you were thinking it might be deployed. I think some of these things are very interesting in the theoretical, but hard to execute from the practical. I'd love to hear your sort of perspective on theory versus reality right now and like how you sort of see those two things balancing, balancing the opportunity and, you know, what this new technology unlocks with the consumer demand you might be sort of feeling and experiencing today.
2: Yeah, I think, look, the vision I laid out is amazing for like the world to have easier done partnerships, the customer have easier value exchange and seamless kind of movement around the ecosystem that's physical now and digitally enabled. Even when we launched Circle, I didn't realize the complexity of signing eight partners at the same time and structuring a different deal. So that's just like additional leverage complexity. So I think there's a lot of this theory. I think people buy into this. I think what I found most successful is it's actually starting very small. In some ways, starting small was NFTs, right? Because it was very, I don't say it's easy, but it was easier to do something that was on the side of the business versus integrated into a business. But obviously, over time, many companies have struggled to add utility such that past the initial launch, you know, it would get in. And so what I'm trying to figure out is what is the smallest things I can tag on? Is it the events access? Is it et cetera? So I can build and show momentum and kind of keep tagging on additional physical experiences and therefore brands. I can tell you when we only could a circle, it was not easy, but i am getting so many emails of brands who said no to me, who saw it now, and they're going to be part of it. So it's also like a formal element when it works, it attracts, you know, the second layer of people.
0: So I think you also hit on something earlier that, you know, just Avery and I talk a lot about in terms of innovation. I do think that there is something about stepping into an Equinox, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a gym, you feel like you're in a special place. It's like an alternate universe. Everything works. The concierge systems always are like very on point. Everyone's attractive.
1: It always feels faintly of eucalyptus. I think that's it. That's like the signature, the sensory experience.
0: One of my challenges in general with the idea of a metaverse, is that you don't get that sensorial stuff that's beyond your eyes and your ears. Whereas the feeling you get walking into an amazing space, an amazing restaurant, whatever, amazing gym, is something that you cannot replicate digitally. So as we think about these lives that we're going to be living in the future, again, do you think that the metaverse has a play in not just fitness, but I guess in luxury lifestyle that will ever compete? With the IRO,
2: No, no, but let me, what I mean by this is, I think the utility of why you go to one over the other will be very different. I think it depends where you live in the world. So I think it first of all, Metaverse can bring experiences into places that are much more remote, different cities that might not have these experiences. And so that's the first gateway drug for them to experience these things so that when they travel or whatever can do it, right? But for a consumer that let's say has both just for the sake of argument, I think it will always be an end solution. I think we will find our ways to go into metaverse on all of these other experiences for other utility that we do in the physical. So, you know, I might want to go to a physical space, the deconnects, because I want to look at people and I want to have a conversation with someone, but I might want to use something different if I want to have a, you know, put a quick workout in between my plane rides, right? And that has a different purpose in my day. I don't think you will have the same use cases for the usage of both, but I do think metaverse. Does provide a way better sensory experience than we've ever done in digital. I actually think that's why digital hasn't done well in luxury goods. China is probably the only example of a real successful multi-billion business where you can, you know, one-to-one sell luxury goods at the scale they do. But like in the US and Europe, it hasn't really transported. And I think part of it is that that's all you have. And I think sensory touching, for example, leather goods, etc., will be the things we'll be able to do, which I think might unlock some of the experience that tech was capped on doing. Even with that, though. You know, buying a Chanel bag, you want to go to a store, ideally a flagship one that gets served champagne, you know, or whatever. It is an experience of itself. And if it isn't, then it's not luxury anymore, right? That, that changes. Now, interesting thing is I've recently had a conversation. I've heard someone from Chanel that runs Innovation talk about the future and, and their point of view. And I don't want to put it in their mouth. I've heard it from someone. And I think it's true because I've been hearing it from a lot of goods brands is that the future of luxury is actually not product it's actually wellness. And wellness can mean many things, but it is about, I would consider meditating or being mindful around your environment and wellness practice, right? And so I think wellness as a word is extending. Each year we had the new category on what the wellness term is. I think there's a world in which all these brands will actually completely change their business model and they will not try to be going towards increasing frequency of pushes of handbags, whatever you sell, but to find experience as part of it that you can kind of upsell. It's kind of the, Rolls Royce, right? You buy one Rolls Royce, but then you have perks as part of the club. So I think we're moving more into experiential and I think the experiential will look a little bit more like wellness.
1: I love that. Experiential will look more like wellness. I think all the worlds are sort of blurring together and the digital component is one that isn't getting smaller as time goes on. Julia, I want to thank you so much for sharing your insights on innovation, on what you're up to at Equinox. We will be keeping our eyes peeled for the evolution of your partnership program with Circle. I love a lot of those brands. So super excited to see the evolution of that. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us
2: on Gen C today. Thank you. Great to see you guys. Thank you, Julia. Bye.
1: Wow. I feel like Julia just packed in a ton of information. She's a very fast talker. She even gives me a run for my money.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, she's bringing it hard. Avery, Equinox is a brand I think is really fascinating because I think and I don't know how I feel about this generally, but there is so much premiumization happening in the world. And I think Equinox was one of those first brands where it's like everyone else is doing like the $90 a month health club and they came in with like $300 and people just ate it up because they love it.
1: Idiots like me sprinted towards it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They ran very fast. And as I sort of was alluding to in our discussion, I'd done a bunch of work with them in the kind of mid 2000 teens. And that team is very intense. You know, they're hyper focused on the brand, hyper focused on kind of understanding the gym as lifestyle and now hotels as lifestyle. I think they're, you know, I mean, they were certainly onto it way before other people were.
1: They were onto it and had a really great app before most other gyms had a great app. And I think innovation is just embedded in the DNA at Equinox. So it's no surprise. They're considering things like Web3. They're considering things like partner programs. They're trying to build beyond the four walls of the club. Julia mentioned this, but the hotel in Hudson Yards is fantastic. So Gen Mm -hmm. C community, if you get a chance to go there, absolutely take it. If you get a chance to go to Electric Lemon, that is one of our favorite spots. And if you go anytime, you know, 6 to 8 p.m., very likely you will run into someone from Vayner.
0: I also think we didn't really get to touch on it, but the fact that they own SoulCycle, which was, you know, kind of one of the first connected fitness apps in some respects even that they own Blink Fitness, which is kind of like a lower end. So they're really hitting all of the different areas of fitness and lifestyle. One of the things I think is interesting, Avery, you and I are both in a specific chat group that is hyper-focused on longevity. And these are like high performers, successful people. And it is amazing that like once you hit a certain level in life, all you want to do is live as long as possible and look as good as you can. And I'm seeing... That like Again, Equinox I think, was one of the brands that really created that feeling and brought it out as like, something that we should be prioritizing in our lives.
1: And I'm sure they're doubling down on the demand for longevity right now. You know, Julie was speaking about number of hours per day spent exercising or doing wellness activities, which is fascinating. My number is probably not very high, um, but it should be higher. And I think it exactly gets to your point, Sam. People are fascinated by, firstly, themselves, secondarily, helping themselves live longer and leveraging technology to help them do so, whether that is apps that help with intermittent fasting tracking or workouts or supplements or all the other things that sort of go along into this longevity bundle. But I think tech is often kind of intertwined, one, in that chat and secondarily in how, you know, brands kind of bring this to market and make it digestible for consumers which I think is really fun. I love the interoperable piece too. I would just want to double click on that because we didn't get fully into it. But I think that's so smart for a brand like Equinox because they have a great brand, but there are not clubs everywhere. For example, where I live in Miami, there is not a club near me. I would be a member if there was a club near me, but there isn't. But now I can kind of participate in this like broader way, almost how Soho House does the cities without houses kind of thing. I think it's smart to allow people to be part of your community and sort of be interoperable with other brands that are sort of of your caliber. It's a really good use case for something like Web3. So I love that that's something that they're looking into and considering. But at the same time, being prudent and realistic around the right time to roll something like that out.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of things I wonder about and that she said that I thought was interesting. One is she didn't speak much about it. She kind of alluded to the idea that they may be looking into healthcare. A little bit more specifically, and I don't know if that's like the equivalent of like quick clinics that are in gyms and it can help you with like the easier stuff versus I don't think they'll be doing surgery. But I also thought it was interesting that she mentioned the idea that luxury brands were getting into more wellness. And, you know, maybe again, she alluded to the fact that like Gucci and the Aura Ring had a partnership. Like, is it that or is there something else about having the Chanel bag gets you into a premium experience? One of the things I start to wonder about, I saw this interesting chart someone put in yesterday about all the streaming services that most people have and suddenly you're kind of back at the same equivalent of what you were paying for cable back in the day. And I wonder how much, once you have your expensive gym and your one or two memberships like a Soho house or whatever, and then you have all of these different premium things you're paying for, if at some point you don't turn around and you say, actually, you know, my monthly spend just on the ancillary stuff that makes me feel good is starting to get pretty high up there. And I wonder if it's just like continually, in the same way they think that like New York is becoming a very hard city for most people to live in financially. Part of it is because there is this luxury tax on everything. Yes. And I do wonder if there will be a backlash towards that at some point.
1: I think there will be. And life has so many pendulums, right? There's like bundling, then you unbundle, then you're bundling again, then you unbundle. And I think we're seeing a push towards more. Desired Bundling, actually a members club I belong to just rolled out this partnership they have with a network of other clubs so that like, hey, when you're in other places, you're able to maximize it and use it more, which I think is super smart. And who knows, maybe blockchain will help power all this, this immutable ledger where you actually can verify that someone is a member without, you know, verifying they have a Chanel bag because we also know we're facing the rise of the super fakes. But that's a topic for another day. Sam, always such a pleasure.
0: You cannot drop super fake. All right, we'll talk about it another time. But
1: we need a whole episode on super fake. I need to go deeper on this. I'm overly educated on this. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, Avery, we'll see you next week. Thank you for everything. Julia was great. And have a great week.
1: See you next week, Gen C.